Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Oh, hi, I'm Blaine Gibson. Yay! Yay! Oh my god. It's so nice of you to stay. I'm so big and strong, and I... <laughs> and I... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Don't make me laugh. Don't make me Blaine laugh. <laughs> And I have so much time for my very good friends at Cult Podcast, and I'm totally not too busy for you guys, so I'm here for the intro. Blaine, it's so nice to have you here. It's so (laughs) great that you're so generous with your time. It's always wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, I never make you feel like it's a hassle to be here. Oh, Blaine, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, again, Armando Torres. Uh, this is this is a really fun episode. We're joined by Blaine Gibson, a uh, very good friend of the show, uh, to cover a topic that we've been waiting to cover for a very long time. Yeah, today we are covering cult deprogramming, and it's going to be lit. Lit. Um, but before we get into it, uh, we've got some news and news. The first piece of news is that we are releasing content on our Patreon. This will actually be the last episodes of Maneater will drop the same day as this episode. Wow. Maybe we'll do a a wrap-up episode where we talk about it. Maybe... Has Mikey and Todd been listening to it? No, I don't think so. I don't think any of our friends have been listening because I don't think any of them have the Patreon link. Uh, that's Yeah, you know what? That's a fair point. Um, yeah. Well, maybe we'll be able to uh, get them that or we can, you know, we can wrap it up and give a final author's notes. Um, yep. We're also going to start doing more uh, speculations on episodes and that's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Um, so go to patreon.com slash cult podcast uh, for all of that information. If you're looking for a new place to listen to the show, can we suggest Rooster Teeth? Cock-a-doodle-doo! Yeah. <laughs> There's a very fun part in this episode later where we do that, and Blaine is not legally excited about that bit. <laughs> Uh, but you can go to roosterteeth.com. You can also get the app on your Xbox, your Amazon Fire Stick, your Roku Television, and a bunch of other devices as well. Or you can, again, just go to the website, roosterteeth.com. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think without any further ado, let's get into the show. Hello. 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 Perfect pitch blank. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to go work out that, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> totally loved being here and didn't hurt Armando's feelings at all. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. And thanks for not being too mean when I brought up you being ditched at prom again. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even hurt my feelings a little bit. <laughs> oh, man. Don't drink the For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these These are are our opinions. opinions.
Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm the laid back man himself, Armando Torres. <laughs> and with us we have Blaine Gibson. Yay! Oh yeah. I don't know yay. if we yay me. I don't know if I'm allowed to get a yay. Yeah, you're yayable. Yeah. And you can yay yourself as we covered last time. What yeah. is what is my uh like, you know, on sitcoms when they had that one special guest that comes back? Like who is my uh identity in this cult podcast world you know probably the neighbor from home improvement you think oh see i was gonna go kimmy gibbler from full house mm. oh, okay all right am i like the cool uncle that pops by every few episodes or something oh definitely that yeah could be. Okay. but then yeah. you have you have you get to have one serious arc where it's like this is yeah. the series this is a series where by the end of it you're gonna be like you know what guys I might not be big in stature, God but I'm it. big in heart. It's, I knew it was coming. Before the show was even rolling, you guys were in on it. And now we're, I'm looking at the clock. We're 10 seconds into this episode. No, I know. I, I was going to compare it to, who is it? Mr. Turner on Boy Meets World, who was like the cool teacher with the leather jacket and then got in a motorcycle accident and was never heard from again until they rebooted the show like 20 years later. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, he lives through that accident, and they say it in the episode. He just didn't come back for the next season, so I don't know. Yeah, they just kept him in a coma yeah. for 20 years. But he was super cool, so, you know, you could be that guy. Okay, yeah. I'll take it. You could tell he was cool because of the jacket. Yeah. Do you know while he was in that 20-year coma, still wore the leather jacket every single day? <laughs> yeah. They never every took day. it off. Wicked bed, bed sores. Bed like a motherfucker, <laughs> but cool as hell. And they propped him up in his bed to sit in the chair, but in the wrong way with his legs kind of like on the back. <laughs> on the, <laughs> backwards. He would have to just like bang on the ventilator to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> My whole point early on, though, is that I'm just going to, you know, I told Blaine it was going to be a real chill vibes, real laid back episode. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not roasting Blaine. I'm not going to call him small. I'm not going to make fun of his tiny gains. Um, not going to make fun of anything about him. Just a reminder, I'm doing this to you guys. Doing this for you guys is a favor. You pay me nothing. I come here every month, once every month, to just get a beating. So <laughs> it's so that we can keep your self esteem in check. Dude. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're doing me. We don't want your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is to keep you humble. Oh, gee, thanks, guys. Uh, what the fuck are we talking about today? We talked about Satan stuff last time I was on, and unfortunately, my power went out. Little did I know it was going to be off for the next seventy-two hours because Texas oh, sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah we caught, almost froze to death. We, we uh, yeah. fucking we have on record the moment <laughs> that that winter storm took out Austin. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We do. We could combine those other three tracks and just see the moment we have. I went, I went to the Oklahoma City bombing building, like, memorial thing, and they have a recording where you listen to it, and you listen to the moment the bombing happened, and that's going to be my Oklahoma City bombing, is oh. me just being like, and then the pee balls filled with cum, and then the, <laughs> then the electricity goes just ended. Dude, in 20 years, they're going to have a, that same setup, but when you put the headphones on, it's just our Timothy McVeigh series. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Also, oh, also, I, I went to the Timothy McVeigh, or the, sorry, it's not the Timothy McVeigh Memorial, the, the Oklahoma City bombing <laughs> memorial. <laughs> Anyways, I went to that sponsored after, by Burger King after we I listened to you guys' series on it, and it was fascinating. I was like, I feel like I know so much more because I listen to the show. So, yeah, 
Listen to the show, listeners. Yeah. To the show. <laughs> You're already here. The battle is halfway won. You're leaving out the best part, which is that it, obviously Blaine is in Austin. And so he sent me a picture of him there and he goes, I went to the Oklahoma City bombing memorial. And I went, oh, weird. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> and Blaine didn't text me back for like two days. <laughs> That's the best roast of all, Blaine. <laughs> That's my favorite I, thing ever. I received that. I was like, is this a bit? Oh, fuck it. I'm just. <laughs> yeah, I was so stupid. Blaine was like, I'll come back to you when I have a cooler head. And it took him two days. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that means we need to switch things up. It's no longer Blaine is small jokes. It's Armando is Scientology's idiot jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I've never fought it. <laughs> uh so today we're actually talking about cult deprogramming oh okay yeah. yeah this is something that we've kind of touched on a bunch uh the 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 dude that i assume we'll be getting to at some point has like this weird cameo appearance in our uh compound dwellers episode um mm-hmm. and also a few other things that we've done as well but it is a crazy subject, and I'm so excited that we're finally going to be able to cover it. He he is a crazy guy. Like, I mean, his story is wild, and it was one of those things where... Paige, are you what? saying that he's a wild and crazy, and crazy guy? Yeah, and this is the 70s for most of the story, especially uh, the last part of the story we're telling in this episode. Mm-hmm. And every interview you see with him, he's in like a leisure suit and like a matching shirt. He looks like he walked off the set of the Jeffersons. <laughs> and he's just like, y'all don't know. They're like robots. They're brainwashed. They're <laughs> just like, I, I'm trying to take you seriously, man. They're called actors. It's not brainwashing. It's a script. <laughs> You guys have had uh, members of, like, previous members of cults come and talk to you guys, right? A couple times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is mm-hmm. this kind of like a uh, universally shared experience where they have to, like, oh, no? Okay. Oh, no. Oh, 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 oh no. That's kind of the tricky thing. So we've kind of danced around talking about deprogramming for a long time because it's a really difficult subject. And we get hundreds of emails, comments, DMs, Facebook messages, and tweets every year from people who have loved ones in cults and are asking how to get them out. And we typically reply the same thing every time, which is number one, this is a comedy podcast. Yeah. We are not professionals. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, and then number two, we tell them that people usually need to be ready to leave. And if you really want to get them out in a healthy way, the key is to stay in their life and be a source of support so that when they do choose to leave and are ready to leave, they know they can turn to you for help. Yeah. Um, And part of that is because deprogramming is so controversial. And we'll get into it a little bit after sources. Um, But there are tons of different ways that people have used deprogramming. Uh, There's modern methods that are very very different than what was happening in the 70s which is what we're going to talk about first and there are some people that think that there should be no deprogramming at all and that's not necessarily a crazy thought like I know it seems crazy to be like leave people in the cult but I'll explain why as we go through sometimes the action of deprogramming somebody or the 
tactics that they use to try and deprogram people are as harmful or more harmful than the cult itself. And they can sometimes drive people to stay in longer. Now, Paige, is it a conflict of interest at all that you, who are saying that maybe we shouldn't deprogram people, um, are also the host of a podcast that covers cults? Is this you trying to keep our pipeline intact? Paige Wesley's... Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. This is a conspiracy. It goes all the way to the to the to the lower middle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I I here's the thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to get people out of cults. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that you have to be very careful about how you choose to do that, and that sometimes it's going to be unsuccessful. Oh, of course. And we may just have to deal with that. Um, in part because of what happens in this story i'm guessing uh, because it's in the 70s there is going to be some sort of drug usage in terms of like getting people to come down from cults or there's gonna be some like really fucked up institutionalization because that seems to be like a popular thing that happens back in those times it is neither and somehow worse oh well i'm strapped in let's let's go he really is it's it's honestly kind of uncomfortable i can see all the straps Plus, you have to be 60 inches to ride this ride, and so it was necessary. No, that's strike one. If we get three strikes, I'm leaving the podcast. I have my button hovering over the leave Zoom call thing, but then I know that there are several other clicks out from the call after that, so it's just going to be awkward. So let's just... Yeah, his tiny, tiny finger. That's strike two. Oh, come on. Oh, man. So let's go through our sources. Our first one is a documentary called Deprogrammed by a woman named Mia Donovan. It's hard to find. It used to be on Netflix for a while. Now it's only available to rent on Vimeo from the production company. But if you're super interested, highly recommend it. There is also a drunk history episode about (laughs) the guy that we're going to cover today. It glosses over a lot of stuff, but if you want to dig into it, you totally can. Um, Then we have an article... Uh, called This Documentarian's Personal Journey into the Wild Kidnapping Field World of Cult Deprogramming by Elena Nicolau, which is actually about Mila Donovan, who made the documentary. Uh, Her brother was deprogrammed by the guy that we're going to talk about. We then have Ted Patrick, The First Cult Fighter, which is an article by a source that I will reveal later in this episode. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. I'm worried. (laughs) Then we have uh, Ted Patrick, Breaking the Spell that Binds by the Washington Post. We have Let Our Children Go, which is Ted Patrick's book about his deprogramming method. And then we have Devotion, Damages, and Deprogrammers, Strategies and Counter-Strategies in the Cult Wars by Barry A. Fisher. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So ready. All right. So as I mentioned, a lot of times when people ask us about how to get people out of cults, our answer is kind of people need to be ready but nobody likes hearing that and I don't blame them because the root of everyone's desire for deprogramming and things like it is that they've seen their loved ones being hurt or exploited they've seen their personality shift and they feel like they're losing a person that they love and they wish that they could just pull them back so that everything would be okay it's like having a family member who's like a a Cubs fan you're just like (laughs) I I hate seeing this happen to you man Fun fact, we're not super going to cover it in our third episode, but people are using a lot of these same deprogrammers uh, for their relatives in QAnon. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
I've yeah. seen that too. Yeah. Do you know how many relatives that I didn't know were Cubs fans? And now that's all they post about <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> Oh, they're never man. coming back guys it's over they're not they're not they're just following those cubs drops like the cubs are going to win the series and it's like what happens when that doesn't happen are you still gonna believe <laughs> anyway uh that kind of thinking of wishing that you could just pull someone back and then automatically everything would be okay kind of misses the reasons that people join cults in the first place which we talk about a lot because cults are manipulative and actively recruiting people but there are still people that don't join that aren't affected by it. Mm -hmm. The people that do join, join because a cult taps into something personal. It's a need for them, either emotionally, ideologically, or physically. Something about that cult meets their needs. And as we say a lot, anyone can join a cult. It doesn't have anything to do with how smart or savvy you are. It has to do with a group approaching you in a time of searching or emotional need and connecting with you. So simply pulling somebody back when they're not ready to leave doesn't get to the core of why they were there in the first place. And that's where the problems start. And that's also the trickiest part of deprogramming because sometimes it works. Sometimes you get the intended outcome. Sometimes people leave. But it's not always easy and it's not ever painless for the person being deprogrammed. And on the flip side, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes people get hurt. Sometimes they get tortured, Ooh. and sometimes deprogramming can have the exact opposite effect of turning people closer into the relationships or groups that are potentially harming them. It's like pet cemetery rules. They come back, but they don't come back the same. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I also do want to acknowledge there's tons of different types of deprogramming. We're going to cover a lot of them. Um, and if you're someone who has looked into deprogramming, you probably know about some of the court cases I'm going to cover later in this series. Please be patient. Don't think that I'm going easy on people. I will cover the bad things that happened, but we just have to lay down some history first and then we'll get into all of the crazy stuff that happened. And I also want to give a little bit of a trigger warning, especially if you're someone who's gone through deprogramming, because some methods can be as bad as the cults people came from and some have even resulted in permanent injury or near death. There is a history of abuse and assault and torture in the attempt to get people out of cults. We are definitely going to be talking about some of those things later in this series. But with all that out of the way, if we're going to talk about deprogramming, we have to talk about the guy who is credited as being the father of modern deprogramming, a man known colloquially as Black Lightning. Yeah! Whoa. It's on his business cards. Yeah. And he was called Black Lightning because he had a habit of just kidnapping people off the streets, just like quickly snagging people. And cults would then try to sue him and they'd be describing like how fast a person disappeared. And they're like, oh, he's just like Black Lightning. <laughs> and so he was just like, yeah, I am Black Lightning. <laughs> Is he I... a black man? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, just yeah, making yeah. sure. That's a superhero, though, whatever he's... I mean, well, I'm probably going to learn some things that'll make me think otherwise, but... Yep. Okay, yep, cool. You definitely yeah. are, but yeah, we're yeah. going to isolate that recording for you later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's like a superhero. Just play that back every time he does something terrible. <laughs> Remember, Blaine? Uh, so, Theodore Roosevelt Patrick Jr. was born in 1930 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, I'd go by Black Lightning, too, uh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Ted Patrick? Yeah. Uh, but 1930 in Tennessee is four years into the Great Depression and about 38 years before Jim Crow laws would be repealed. 
and about a two and a half hour drive away from the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh. So what I'm saying is, as a young black guy, it's not a great place to be. No. <laughs> um, it's bad. He actually describes his birthplace as, quote, a red light district and says that he was, again, quote, his words, not mine, uh, surrounded by thieves, prostitutes, murderers, and pimps. Um, he's a very, he's a public speaker. He does a lot of events in public speaking, and he talks about his childhood a lot. And he goes into a lot of crazy stories that, like, if you have time, watch some of his, I don't want to call it stand-up, but basically it's stand-up. Yeah. It's, uh, I was going to say, it sounds like he's doing a type five. yeah how much do we trust this guy like are his stories real or is he one of those compulsive liars like we've covered in the past there's definitely going to be pieces that are that are embellished but there's also a bunch of stuff that we can actually prove because there are documents and things about it at the time Mm. uh i do have towards the end of this episode an alternate version of something that he tells as one of his normal stories but it's by a pretty trusted source so We'll get into that towards the end, but I would say for the most part, we can trust a lot of this information because most of it is verifiable. The only thing we can't necessarily trust is some of the stuff about his childhood, but to be honest, I don't necessarily know that it would help or hurt him to fake it. So it doesn't seem Hmm. worth faking, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, But I think it gives us a really interesting window into how he may have become the person he becomes. I'm curious to hear what his origin story is and why he has a hard-on for deprogramming people from cults. Does he have a Batman-like uh, experience? Kinda. Really? Yeah. Right. It's, it's really interesting, yeah. And it's one of those things that doesn't get... When people talk about him, there's a huge section of his childhood that they don't usually talk about that I found in research. Is it that his parents were killed by a program when they were leaving the opera? Mm. (laughs) no uh but not far off Mm. uh there are things in his childhood that if you know your cult history are huge red flags and if you don't know your cult history it's not as important to you and you focus on other parts of the story but given that we have some other episodes that'll back up portions of his story i think it's really interesting and it does kind of create a perfect storm for who he becomes So his family was extremely poor, both due to the fact that they were a larger family, so resources were spread thin, but also because of systemic racism. And as we talked about on our KKK and Voodoo episodes and our Bloods and the Crips episodes, we talked a little bit about Jim Crow laws and policies like redlining. And this is absolutely part of his family's reality when he was growing up. They were lucky to have a roof over their heads and they would take any job that was willing to hire them because at the time, businesses hiring black people were few and far between. Both his grandfather and his uncle worked as preachers at the time, sometimes with their own congregations, but often with revivals because the money was better. And so it's no surprise that when his family heard about a man preaching on the East Coast, providing meals, jobs, and housing to the black community, they were eager to follow his teachings. Foreshadowing. And that, yeah, that man was Father Divine. Oh, Even I know yeah. that guy. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. So if you remember our episodes on Father Divine, he is a textbook case of a cult meeting people's tangible needs as a means of growing their outreach. And Jim Jones learned from his playbook. 
They knew that if you could make somebody's day-to-day life easier and better, they would be indebted to you and follow you. And then he created a system in which people couldn't really leave or really didn't want to, but also didn't have the means to leave. They didn't have any money or employment or previous skills outside of his organization. And so he could kind of control their day-to-day lives. And admiring Father Divine's mission wasn't their only investment in his ministry. His family, even though they were super poor, would repeatedly send Father Divine and other organizations like it money. So they didn't go and join. They just sent money all the time. And Father Divine wasn't the only person they were sending money to. His family also donated money to a man named Sweet Daddy Grace. (laughs) This episode is filled with really cool names. Yeah. We're about to get a bunch more. (laughs) So since we don't have an episode on Sweet Daddy Grace, I'll give you just a little tidbit of who he was. So Sweet Daddy Grace, who was known by several names... Uh, those names are Bishop Charles Manuel Grace, Bishop Daddy Grace, Sweet Precious Daddy Grace. Yeah, he was actually born Marcelino Manuel de Grasa on January 25th, 1881. Dude, even his real name slaps. His real name slaps harder than his nicknames. Um, All of these dudes could have been rappers, by the way. Easy. All of them. All of them. Sweet Precious Um, Daddy Bishop. Mm. He even had like a catchphrase, like you know how like um, Pitbull is Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. So Sweet Daddy Grace liked to refer to himself as the boyfriend of the world. Oh, <laughs> you might want to workshop that one there, bud. I'm fucking this entire planet, <laughs> and I don't mean I don't mean the people. I mean I dig a hole in my backyard and I do it wrong. <laughs> The world and I are separating. It's just, you know, we need to take a break. Uh, I've been cheating on her with Mars. Uh, so. <laughs> also, I, I I have issue anytime anyone brings up Pitbull. Uh, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before, but Pitbull's oh, real yeah. name is Armando. Is Armando. Ooh. And it makes me mad. I don't, I'm very competitive with every other Armando. The most famous one being that Marine who was kidnapped and murdered by the cartel. And every time I see it, I, I'm like, oh, thoughts and prayers. But also, wow, dude, you're SEO crazy. But also, <laughs> Dolly. Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, watch it, Blaine. <laughs> so... He emigrated to the United States in 1903, and he said that he had a calling to preach the gospel and became a preacher in his teens. In 1919, at the age of only 17 at the time, he built his first church. Uh, He says that he only had $39 but I don't know that that's true. <laughs> Given what we know about him later on, just from my cursory reading, mm-hmm. I think there's more to the story. Where is he from? Uh, he's from the island of Brava. Gotcha. And Cape Verde. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, in the mid-1920s, he moved south and basically did the Southern Revival Circuit and made buttloads of money. Uh, so that's probably where... Ted Patrick's family learned about him initially, but then he just kept doing that circuit. And he dressed like 
the only way I can really describe it is Black Liberace. Uh, he's got like nice. long painted nails, huge ornate outfits and hats and robes. He would drive in limos to revivals. It was a whole thing. And part of the way that he had made all of his money is that he was selling people Daddy Grace soap, which would cleanse the body and heal people, <laughs> allegedly. I what allegedly by like. using... I have yeah. no... I'm so curious. I don't think I could um, ever use a soap that had the word daddy in its title. Daddy soap. Daddy soap. Daddy soap. Well, could you then use Daddy Grace writing paper or Daddy Grace magazine or Daddy Grace elixir, which if you put it on your chest will cleanse everyone? So I think it's just That's like just vapor, vapor, vapor rub. rub. Yeah. Wait, uh, Daddy, Daddy Grace vapor rub. Time out. Pause real quick. Are you guys fucking with me right now? Because this sounds like one of those fucking Dead April serious. Fool jokes. Because you asked me to be, you asked me to be on your April Fool's episode, and I said no. This is not a joke. Uh, he also had toothpaste, tea, coffee, hair straightener or relaxer, because he primarily catered yeah. to to the black community. Face powder, talcum powder, lemon cream, cold cream, shoe polish and other household cleaners, all under the Daddy Grace name. He even sold Daddy Grace cookies Girl Scout style. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's like Trump. Yeah, dude killed the merch game. Yeah. Killed yeah. the merch game. God. Holy shit. Yeah, also, this is the... this is a movie, and it's April Fool's. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, the, this is the old world Jake Paul. Yeah, this is... Like, he's an influencer. He's a proto-influencer. I'd love to see, like, the packaging and all this. Like, if you went into the Daddy Grace gift shop and, like, does it all look like, you know? Like, I bet I can find a picture for you. I would actually. love to see what all these products look like. Because this is, it's actually kind of cool. I love the idea oh, yeah. of all of these under one umbrella of Daddy Grace, the Daddy umbrella. <laughs> the Daddy Extended Universe. The Daddy Extended Cinematic Universe. The Daddy Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Oh boy! No, that's somebody. That's a vegan soap company trying to make something that looks like Daddy Gray soap. Mm. What do our vegan audience members want? Daddy Grace call Daddy back. Grace. Daddy, Daddy Grace. Grace throwback. <laughs> I don't have pictures of that. I do have pictures of him giving mass uh, baptisms, and let's see. We can kind of see in this. You can kind of see his robes. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm looking this guy up just to make sure I'm not being pranked. Holy shit, look at this hair. Yeah. Woo. Whoa. Yeah. So mm -hmm. for a dude who's like preaching and probably, I'm assuming, talking about humility, this guy really, really went extra with that oh, outfit yeah. and that mustache. And his fancy cars. Yeah. He, he looks like a like Dracula. <laughs> he does kind of look like Dracula. But, like, holy Dracula. I mean, it's not that much different than the, like, mega preachers we have now wearing fucking, like, Yeezys on stage talking about how Jesus <gasps> oh. was, like, a really kind, giving man. That's what Jesus would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> My husband sent me an article that's just a list of pictures of televangelists wearing expensive shoes. And it was just, like... Yeezys, Nike, whatevers. And I was just like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Oh, stick that in my veins. I love that shit. I will, I'll find it. I'll send it to you. So these items 
were widely sold, responsible for most of his fortune, and they were what caught Ted's mother's eye because Ted had a speech impediment. And we don't know much about it other than he says as an adult, there are still words that he can't quite pronounce properly. And so his mom paid unknown sums of money to buy these products to try and heal him, took him to any number of preachers and group leaders to try and help his impediment, uh, bordering on exorcism style practices. What? Yeah. Where they're like holding him down and shouting at him in tongues to be like, speak correctly and he's just like shaklamana glamada and they're like not correct enough yeah um, they're speaking to him in tongues and he's like are you sure i'm the one with the problem <laughs> i don't think i am um but the older he got the more he felt like although he still believed in the bible and all of the things in it that these people were con men and they were preying on his family and he hated it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a speech impediment. It's like back in the day, they used to fucking beat you for using your left hand. It's just like, let people yeah. do the shit that people do. Let people have it feel like a stranger sometimes. Like, I don't know why it's such a big deal. <laughs> oh, Blaine, you're not laughing. It's because in, in Catholic school, if you jerked it with your left hand, a nun would wrap your fingers with a ruler. I, uh, I'm actually, I'm not laughing because I'm mixed handed and that's as a result of, I was supposed to be left handed, but the education system, they kept trying to make me a righty. So now my oh. handwriting is just dog shit and I, I don't know what I, what I, what I am. I don't know what I am. I, I, yeah. People are like, oh, you're ambidextrous. And I'm like, no, no, I, I can't do anything good with either hand. Mm. Ambidextrous when well, you could live on land and water, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is, Armand. That just means there's never a stranger yeah. in Blaine's house. It's exact. I'm very frustrated by that too. <laughs> which yeah, which hand do you jerk it with? Right. Mm. So remember that next time, cult podcast listener, you come shake my hand when you meet me. Yeah, emphasis on the come. That. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, can COVID happen for a few more months so we can avoid this? <laughs> At least everyone will have hand sanitizer on them when the world opens back up. <laughs> Next RTX, it's just a line of people with Purell. (laughs) Oh, man. So Ted, frustrated by all this, dropped out of school in 10th grade to immediately go into the workforce in hopes of supporting his family better financially. And he did a ton of different odd jobs. And after a few years, he was running his own successful nightclub as a teenager. Whoa. Yeah. And modern day, like, especially when you see talks and stuff with him, he talks about, he likes to say that he dropped out of high school, but he has a PhD in common sense, which is ridiculous. <laughs> oh uh, that's one of those that's daddy a, jokes. That's a pretty cool line, though. It's, he, dude is full of great lines. Uh, but honestly, he's kind of right, because he has street smarts to the max, and he was pretty successful at almost any job he put his mind to. And something that comes up again and again is that speech impediment aside, he has a way with words. He's got those lines and he was a people person and he was good at getting people to do what he wanted or needed them to do. Yeah. Kind of like a cult leader. Exactly. Also, I know this isn't what you're saying at all, Paige. I know this isn't what you're trying to say, but yeah, having a speech right. impediment doesn't at all affect your ability to just be one charming SOB. 
Um, yeah. Also, like, fuck, dude, you opened a nightclub in your teenagers. When I was in high school, the way I made money uh, was I would buy a bunch of sodas before school and then sell them out of my backpack um, like a drug dealer because our school didn't allow sodas on campus. And so I would sell them out of my backpack. Got caught twice, almost got suspended for it. But my mom worked for the school district. I had an inside uh, inside worker. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, not only is he super charming, and that's kind of what makes the difference, we have to also remember that this is a nightclub in the South mm-hmm. under Jim Crow laws. So, like, imagine like having a, a black nightclub in the hardest place to have a black nightclub <laughs> like he so he clearly was good at what he was doing yeah. um he ends up getting married and having a son and he becomes the co-chairman of the 19th ward in Chattanooga Tennessee all before the age of 25 and that's all verifiable with documents and I had to Google what it was. Uh, but essentially, it's like low-level local government, kind of like an assemblyman. Yeah. But again, he's not even 25 yet at this point. God. But he's a prominent business owner in the community, and so people trust him. Oh, hmm. 25-year-old prominent business owner. Hmm? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. That sounds pretty unrealistic. Sounds, I don't know this, if I believe that. Shoot, shut your fucking mouth, Blaine. This sounds like somebody... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I should be going by Big Daddy Mondo. Oh, I'm gonna start making Wait, soaps. It, what? What was it? Big Boy Mondizi Big Boy or whatever. Big, no, Big Bubba Mondizi Big Bubba was Mondizi. the name you came up oh, with yeah. that one time. Oh, dude, I forget that we own Big Bubba Cult Podcast as a bit uh, on Instagram. <laughs> we do. And every so, often, yes, we do. every so often, Instagram will just send me a notification like, hey, Big Bubba Cult Podcast, you haven't posted for a while. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? <laughs> is instagram coming on to me what's going on <laughs> hey big bubba you haven't been on here for a while mm. <laughs> i'm really Don't enjoying like you got better things to do what <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying so far that we have a like 17 year old preacher who started his own church and then a 17 year old nightclub owner like god damn they must have had drive back in the day oh, or yeah. they had such a short life expectancy that they were like i gotta get shit done yeah, yep. that was that. That's the shit where like I, there is that, that is kind of the 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 vibe back then. Like, have you seen Judas and the Black Messiah? Oh hell yeah, it was great. I watched that entire movie, loved it, loved it all the way through, and then at the very end they were like, he died at the age of like twenty two, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Twenty two? I don't know. Oh my god. Let me look up how old he was because it's gonna it's gonna fuck me uh, up. I remember no, I remember seeing that part too where it was like, dude was super young, and you're like, holy hell, like yeah, to to have the fucking drive to do something that culturally important at such a young age. Like I don't, I still don't even care about myself. Let's see. Uh, he died at the age. Fucking hell, he died at the age of twenty-one. Oh my god, that was like less than you even thought it was. Yeah, that. Yeah. And that's wow. what I mean. Just to have like, to have the wherewithal and the awareness to 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 realize what is actually important that young. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, personally, I don't know if I would want to be preached to by a teenager because typically I go to church for, you know, life lessons and things, you know, experiences and stuff like that. And this guy's like, oh, if you want to talk to that girl, just pray to God. <laughs> just pray. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you have this fucking 17 year old guy who's like, I've owned a fucking business for four years. All right. You want to talk about <laughs> you want to talk about life experience? I pay taxes, motherfucker. 
You know who never gets ditched at prom? Ted fucking Patrick. <laughs> That's who. Oh, no, boy. Oh. Just saying, maybe you should listen to more child preachers. Or don't. <laughs> He's crying on the inside. It's a callback to when I told I when I confided in you two that I was ditched at prom. Uh, glad, glad I told you that. It's, uh, it's a great story. <laughs> oh my god! Oh I like that we god. flipped the script and this is what bullies look like now. You fucking nerd. <laughs> that's just it's that's our ro- time. That's Rooster Teeth and all uh, in a in a thing. It's it's Bizarro World where the guy that works out is constantly being berated by his, like nerdy friends. Yeah. It's like. Uh, you could have stayed fat, bro. You could have been like us. Yeah. By the way, f- not for anything else, but specifically for working out. That is why you're being bullied. Is because you have abs and cum gutters. I recognize the, uh, yeah, how strange this is. Yeah. All right, let's talk about weird uh, cult deprogramming guy. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. So at 25, already a local, a fixture of local government and a business owner, he took a trip to California with a friend, leaving his wife and son behind temporarily. And while in California, he got heavily involved in black activism, culminating. And it's a little vague on what exactly happened, but essentially he is in some way involved in the Watts riots in 1965. But after the riots, he earns a Freedom Foundation Award, which again is something we can prove with like documents and stuff. Um, I assume that he advocated at local government level regarding the riots afterward is kind of what it sounded like where they happened and then he helped kind of talk with authorities mm. and then was awarded for his work doing that still but everything i found about it they were just like yeah for his efforts in the watt riots he got this award and i'm like but doing what and i don't know so regardless california's governor at the time took notice and whether he was actually trying to help or just to show the black community that he did indeed have a black friend the governor made ted a special assistant for community affairs. <laughs> that governor, by the way, was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Yeah, somebody who has historically had the back of black Americans. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why I was like, I think he just wanted to tell people he had a black. Oh, woman. absolutely. Um, Fucking. If you haven't shit. listened to the dollops episodes on Ronald Reagan, please do, especially for insight during this time. Because when that dude was governor, shit was wild in California. Like, they built a whole separate governor's mansion and then abandoned it. (laughs) Like, it's bonkers. It is a crazy, crazy time. So, Ted, feeling like he has work to do in California, relocates his family to San Diego. Right in the middle of the 60s. So, smack dab in the middle of the hippie and counterculture movement. And it was here that he would find his next calling. And we've talked at length about this time in California history and what religious groups were like in the time period. And the counterculture movement gives birth to a number of cults, communes, and communes that weren't cults yet, but definitely would be soon. And no one was more freaked out about it than the parents of young people joining these groups, mainly because there was nothing they could do about it. Because young people were joining new religions, communes, and cults left and right, and some of them were fine and just experimenting with Buddhism or homosexuality. 
But others had found the Moonies and the Children of God, or the Love family, or the Christ family, or the Twelve Tribes. And parents of these people often knew where they were, but had no contact with them, because the group had demanded that they cut all ties. So they started filing missing persons reports. But there's only one problem with that. None of these people were minors. And if somebody isn't a minor and doesn't want to come home, there's really nothing people can legally do. And also, and this will be very important later in mostly our third episode, sometimes adult people will choose different lifestyles and that's okay. And as we go through this, we're going to have to really talk about how harmful deprogramming is in this regard because there's a big difference between joining the children of God or just liking a certain type of music or choosing a different career path or dropping out of college. Mm -hmm. And at what point do your parents still have authority over an adult's life and their ability to make decisions. My mom had this really, um, really awful story of like, because I'll be honest, I love my grandmother, but um, this is really hard to tell. My mom told me a story once that when uh, she was a kid, which not a kid, she was, she was 18, 19 years old, and um, my grandma destroyed her Easy e cassette tape uh, just because she didn't like the music. Ooh. <sighs> Fucking idiot! I was waiting for the <laughs> You gave it away at this is really hard to tell. Come on, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> what if I ever had an emotion? But that's what I'm saying. Like my my mom told that story to me, and she's like, it fucking pissed me off because I'm like 18 years old. It's like I can listen to Easy E if I want to listen to Easy E. Um, and then I asked her for a Little Wayne record that contained the song Pussy Money Weed, and she was like, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the anxiety around these groups grew as we saw the Manson murders in 1969 and cult paranoia was at an all-time high, which we talked about in the Satanic Panic series. So it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that this frenzy also touched Ted's family. So in 1971, Ted and his family were enjoying a 4th of July near San Diego when Ted noticed that his son and his son's cousin hadn't returned from the beach after the fireworks. And there are varying versions of this story. <gasps> is, this the, is this the origin story? Is this, is this where yeah. he becomes Black Lightning? <laughs> this is where he becomes Black Lightning. Oh, here we go. Normally, I wouldn't entertain outlying sources that disagree with a common narrative. Except in this case, I will because of who the other source is. So I'll tell you the accepted version of events and then I'll tell you the different version. Okay. So the accepted version and the version that Ted has told many times and does tell in the documentary that we listed in our sources is that hours later, his son and his son's cousin come back and they tell Ted how they had encountered the children of God on the beach and they had attempted to recruit them and even temporarily physically prevented them from going home after the fireworks. And according to Ted, they came back, but they had a marked personality change, also a physical one. Ted's very fixated on eyes. He talks about it in almost every interview and every deprogramming, how he thinks once people have been brainwashed, their eyes look different. (laughs) Okay. No, he's got an eye fetish is what he has. Girl, those eyes. Uh, (laughs) But he felt like his son and subsequent cases didn't quite look right in the eyes. And following that 4th of July, his son suddenly had no interest in other hobbies and only wanted to read and debate the Bible with his dad. 
And it was such a drastic shift that Ted claims that he deprogrammed his own son over a matter of days, debating the cult's beliefs, and his son recovered and had no further interaction with the cult. Now, this is the different account, and it's the one that I kind of believe more. And here's why. Normally, when somebody has a differing account, it's usually just because they got a fact wrong. But in this case, the person who has a differing account is someone that very likely knew Ted in person and has had encounters like this and likely worked with him over time. So I don't know that maybe Ted's version is a shortened version for brevity and for the speeches that he gives. And this is the real version or if this person has some of the facts wrong and this was a version that Ted told them back in the day. But suffice it to say, I'm pretty sure they knew Ted and worked in some of the same situations as Ted. And that person is Cult Podcast's pro bono lawyer, Paul Morantz. Oh, shit. We got Paul back? We Well, we have an entry from one of Paul's books back oh, <laughs> that I cited God. in sources. He's the mystery source. You so blame. It's on his website. Catch, catch me up here. I'm, I'm, I'm in the oh weeds. What's going God, on? Right, I right, right. fucking love Paul so much. So back in the day, uh, we we okay. before before I was writing episodes, Paige uh, did an episode um, on a group uh, that did not love being called a cult and threatened well, legal action. let's go back to we did... We did a, uh, an episode on Synanon, and Paul was the lawyer for a woman escaping Synanon. They put a rattlesnake in his mailbox. It bit him. Oh, he survived. Yeah, he survived because he, like, killed the fucking snake and brought it and to brought his neighbor. And brought it with him to the hospital. Yeah, and was, yeah. And was, Whoa, yeah, and was like, this fucker bit me, and then, like, collapsed, and they saved his life because they knew what oh. fucking bit him. Got better won the case against the cult and then went on to sue him himself, like sue them himself for putting a snake in his mailbox, basically bankrupting and crippling that cult. Like he's responsible for why Synanon is no more. Uh, He's total fucking badass. Hell yeah. So he, now he does like a lot of pro bono, like fighting cults work. Right. And so I forget how it happened, but we got in contact with him. Um, I think it was through well, you were right on the money. We did the episode that shall not be yeah. named episode 17. They Is this sent a us deleted a deleted episode yes. or yeah, it's uh, a deleted okay. episode. Um, they sent us a cease and desist. They're the only people to ever do mm-hmm. it. Believe it or not. They sent us a cease and desist and we were like, we don't know what to do. We don't have any money. We don't have a lawyer. What do we do? And we had just so recently done the Synanon episode that I was on his website and it has like a contact me form. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Colt's bugging you? Are are you finding rattlesnakes (laughs) in your mailbox? (laughs) Call me. My name's Paul. Boy, I know how that goes. His commercial ends with him snapping a snake's neck. (laughs) Just like cracking it. It takes a lot of effort. They're very flexible necks. Very durable. (laughs) Yeah. We email him. Turns out he lives down the street from where we were because we were at at Marie's house. Uh, Lives down the street. And he literally just emailed us back and was like, come over. (laughs) So like we were recording, got the email and we were like, okay. So we just like showed up at his house and he was just like, come on in. He's got like a skeleton of the snake. No, wait, 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 wait. It's better than that. He has the skeleton of the snake molded into the logo of the cult that put the snake in his fucking mailbox, dude. 
Damn. Yeah. Uh, like mounted on a plaque gifted to him by members of the cult that had left. Yeah. So that like he had helped like wow. get yeah. them over the shit. Yeah, deprogrammed in a not terrible way, right? Well, that's kind of what's interesting because that predates a lot of this. Got it. And the tactics that that particular group used to use are very similar to some of the ones that we'll see in deprogramming. But Paul went on to basically just go after cults Mm -hmm. as a lawyer. Like, that's his MO. So, he definitely would have worked with Ted at this time. He would have encountered him. I am fairly certain that they knew each other. And so that's why I'm going to include this other account, which to me is more detailed and makes a little bit more sense. Seems like Paul is like the Batman if the cults are like the bad guys. And then Black Mm -hmm. Lightning is more like the Red Hood where he's like bad, but still trying to do some good. But he's He's, he's like Paul Schaefer's like Batman from Batman the Animated Series when Bruce Wayne's all old. You mean Paul Morantz? Not Paul Schaefer? Yeah, I don't know why the fuck I fucking... (laughs) Paul Schaefer. Paul is like fucking Batman from Batman the Animated Series or whatever when Bruce Wayne's like an old man trying to train the new Batman. Oh, Batman Unlimited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's just like... (laughs) Oh, wait. Is it Batman Unlimited? Oh, shit. Hold on. Not Batman. Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond. I will say about Ted, he's definitely has good intentions, I would say. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And Ted will get results as we see, as we go through these episodes. But often he's not necessarily getting them on purpose. Like he's accidentally getting good results and his heart's in the right place. But his actions, I would say, vastly overstep people's personal civil liberties. Uh, And it's going to be a problem. But here's Paul's account of what happened. So that night, Ted's son did not come home until much later and does recount the strange story when he does eventually get home. And he was maybe even a little bit confused. But this leads Ted to do what any parent would do call around to other parents in the community and see if any other children had experienced the same thing. So they finally find his kid. His kid's a little off. So he starts calling other families that were at their party. And then those families call other families based on who was there that night. And lo and behold, between his initial calls and those families calling others, they found at least 26 other people at the park that day that had encountered the children of God with similar stories. Hmm. And as the phone tree grew, the number gets up to 52. Plus, one woman's 19-year-old son was missing. And according to his mother, he called five days later to tell her he was leaving the family for the children of God and he wouldn't be... and he wouldn't be returning home. And because of his age, the police refused to open a case, but that didn't sit right with Ted. And at this point, Ted's account and the alternate account converge, and they're back to the same story. What everyone agrees on is that Ted then infiltrated the children of God as a potential member. And this wouldn't be the last time he would do this either. He also tries to infiltrate the Moonies later on. Ooh. Jesus. But Ted does, does he have a does he have like a disguise on when he does that? No. Oh, thank <laughs> so God. he literally drives around beaches. He finds them at Mission Beach in San Diego <laughs> and he just got on one of their buses. And most of the other members were like sixteen to twenty-five years oh. old. 
He was 41. Yeah, I thought you were going to say he just drove around San Diego leaning out of his window just like, oh, Moonies. Come out and play. Uh, Despite sticking out like a sore thumb, he stayed with the children of God for about four days before leaving of his own accord. And he claims that after those few days, if he had stayed any longer, he would have stayed forever. He had a front row seat to how manipulative those groups could be. And legal or not, he decided that he was determined to do something about it. And that's where we're going to leave off for this week for our episode on deprogramming. Oh, shit. Nice. Yeah. <sighs> By the way. You, yep. you just, you came here and then you, you, you teased me and you're talking about these things. And I want to know more about Black Lightning and his adventures. <laughs> his misadventures, <laughs> rather. Yeah. 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 God. I, I think it does suck that when it comes to like cool nicknames, if you're just not white, your ethnicity gets added to that nickname a lot of the time. <laughs> when I was in high school, people were just like, hey, brown bear. And it's like, <laughs> I could just be a bear. You know, I could just be. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. You don't have to be specific. Could have just been a grizzly. <laughs> I mean, Armando, I think there's plenty of gentlemen who would just call you a bear if you wanted. <laughs> Also, uh, I I do want to add just a one more story to our Paul thing because I fucking love Paul. But my favorite, I'm eating it up. I want to hear more about this. Dude. My yeah. favorite part of that night is that when we got to his house, so his house is covered in uh, cult memorabilia, like old fucking cults yeah. and like their flyers, their like uh, you know like items from their history. Um, and he was talking to us about how on eBay he had been betting on uh, an old Synanon like lotto ticket thing um that they had that they used to give out at their meetings and Paige made this face and she's like oh i'm actually you know i'm actually betting on the same item and then i want it yeah i want it yeah that's so fu- oh my god this guy is he like your best friend is he still around <laughs> we, we haven't talked well actually marie talks to him pretty often which is actually very very funny yeah wow because uh, he and marie still live pretty close so, yeah, he's, he's technically yeah. our lawyer, I think. Yeah, I mean, we just haven't... No one else has tried yeah. any shit, so... He's yeah. actually... He's actually the the person that wrote our introduction uh, when we talk about like how we classify cults. He's the one that like worked with us to write the the verbatim uh, words that we use so that we can protect ourselves in the future. We didn't have that until after that uh, episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So that's like... You have to preface that for kind of legal reasons, yeah. sort of. Yeah, yeah. It just—I yeah, I bet, mean... bet he's got those Heaven Gates Nikes. Heaven's Gate Nikes. <laughs> yeah, he's. Oh, I he's don't the know. one that fucking got him in size fourteen before I could buy him. The piece of shit. No, I love you, Paul. I love you so much. I know, and you—you <laughs> you almost did buy them. Like yeah. I remember that you were like really debating it because you had found a they pair. Were those still pop up from time to they time. They were $600 and every single day of yeah. my life I regret not buying them because now, because back then I didn't have, you know, $600 was a life changing expense for me. Right. Now I feel stupid. Yeah. I want the Terminator ones. The ones vandals. that Kyle Reese, the yeah. vandals that he pulls out of the bargain bin. I want those too. Yeah. I want those so bad. Also, those are in Goonies. Those are they really? Vandals. Yeah, we're not a. We're, you're not a shoe podcast, right? Well, we're slowly <laughs> turning into one. Oh my oh, god! Man. Well, Blaine, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this with us. 
of course. Thank you for having me back. Sorry that I had to drop out the last time, uh, <laughs> but my state shit its pants and I froze for three days because Yeah, of it. it's almost like every person in your life named Ted is kind of a shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucking Ted's, man. Well, um, this episode, just like every episode, is brought to you by uh, Black Lightning, now on Netflix. Uh, the exciting story... <laughs> Of a kidnapped base superhero. Uh, he doesn't really have powers so much as he has a van with very tinted windows. Uh, that's Black Lightning. <laughs> Go stream it now. Um, no, our, our episode is actually brought to you by our wonderful, amazing Patreon donors. Oh, no, no. I thought it was going to be Daddy Grace Soap or whatever. Ooh, <laughs> Daddy Grace Soap. Oh, man. I forgot about Daddy Grace Soap. <laughs> Now I want to get that. I want to get a full cult outfit going. I want to get like the Daddy Grace. Uh, that's that's what I'm going to wash myself with and smell. Because you know he made a cologne. You know he made Fogua or oh, yeah. Daddy. Papi Fogwans or something. Um, yeah, that's what I, I got to get. I got to get a whole cult outfit. But uh, if you uh, want to check out our Patreon where there's a bunch of awesome bonus content um, and cool rewards, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. And if you're looking for a fun place to listen to the show, might we suggest Rooster Teeth? Not participating. That's a new one for me. <laughs> what animal is that even? You're it's so red in the face rooster. right now. <laughs> it's a, it's a fucking guyos. <laughs> Gaios Tithos. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Silently I, I don't know how to farm. <laughs> Rooster Teeth is a great place to find a bunch of awesome content like uh, Cult Podcast and Good Morning from Hell, um, as well as a bunch of other really cool shows like Red Web, Black Box Down, and many, many more. Uh, you can go to roosterteeth.com or you can download the app and get that on your Xbox, uh, your Amazon Fire Stick, your Roku television, your telephone, a bunch of really cool stuff. And I mean your smartphone, by the way. You can't get it on a landline yet, but... You get it on your, you get it on your Daddy Grace yeah, phone. Yeah, you can get it on the Daddy yeah. Grace phone. Uh, I've got the Daddy Grace plan with unlimited soaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it's a it's a really fun place rooster teeth go check it out uh speaking of rooster teeth where can people find you blaine yeah like you said rooster teeth we stream every now and then on rttv it's roosterteeth.com slash lives dash rtt it's a horrible horrible us url anyways i'm on there a lot <laughs> and then i'm on twitter at b gibbles and instagram the underscore blaine because some i lost at b gibbles on instagram I think. we'll get him we'll get paul mm-hmm. on the case yeah we'll- <laughs> please do we'll put a snake in their mouth <laughs> snake killer guy uh yes hey if you want to follow me uh i do a bunch of stuff i a few weeks back at this point but uh, as of recording this a few days ago uh blade and i played among us together on rooster teeth and that was so much fun um got to kill him for the first time in his life blaine was big because of a mod <laughs> <laughs> That's three strikes. That's strike you're out. three. I'm gone. No, <laughs> no. There's two more episodes in the series. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, we get three strikes per episode. Blake, come on. Uh, it's so much fun. You can uh, you can find me and all this shit that I'm doing on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram um and go do that because i got a bunch of really fun projects in the works and that's going to be the place to hear about them because now we're recording this like weeks in advance and it's very fun yeah 
It is very fun. All all of my projects will have elapsed by the time this comes out. <laughs> right. I have no idea. The concept of time is so weird when you're like, this is for today, but also three weeks from now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we talked about a thing that I wanted to talk about but couldn't talk about because Paige was excited about it, and I don't know when it's coming yeah. out. So time, time. Yeah. It has no meaning, yeah. and it keeps on ticking. Has no meaning. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh, if you want to send me your version of a Sweet Daddy Grace homemade soap, you can send that to me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram, TikTok, other stuff, and yeah. Hit me up. If you want to follow the show on Instagram, you can do so uh, at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you made soap and you want to actually send it to us to keep us squeaky clean, you could send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like, like the, the shiny. shiny. Am I off? Am I off? Yeah, I'm off. No, no, you were right on. Uh, Los Angeles, California, 90065. That address is about as bad as the RTTV URL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> SEO, man. We don't know search engine optimization, apparently. <laughs> oh, you don't got to tell me about it. Google Armando Torres and tell me what you find. <laughs> oh, I'm the Paige Wesley on the first, like, three pages of my Google. What up? <laughs> Come at me. It's great. Some dickhead who found a piece of the Malaysian airliner has my name in there. <laughs> He's also <laughs> at B. Gibbles on Instagram. Damn him! <laughs> if I were him, I'd just start stealing your photos to put on my profile and just like merge it. And then people would just think that you found part of Malaysian Airlines. Well, Honestly, well, well. If, if I was me, I would also use Blaine's photos because he's hot <laughs> as hell. You're just making up for it because you've been calling me small for the past two hours. <laughs> I mean, you could be small and hot at the same time. Yeah. Oh, fair. Fair. I think for this one, I'm going to say, don't drink the sweet Daddy Grace's mouthwash. Oh. Mm. I bet he makes good sweet tea, though. For real. <laughs> Probably. He did make coffee also. Oh. Yeah. But don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Yeah.